Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts, of George Mason University and Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, find other episodes, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is April 21st, and my guest is Ariel Rubenstein of Tel Aviv University and New York University. Ariel, welcome to Econ Talk. Uh, nice to be here. Now, you're a game theorist, a very respected uh, game theorist, and you recently wrote an afterword for the 60th anniversary of von Neumann and Morgenstern's classic work on the theory of games. And you wrote it, you said explicitly, from the position of a skeptic. And, That's correct. And in that... In that uh, essay, you wrote uh, – I'm going to read an excerpt from it, which is, was rather shocking when I came across it. So it's a little long. Bear with me, those of you out there. And, Ariel, when I'm done, you can uh, elaborate and comment. Of course. Here's the quote. So is game theory useful in any way? The popular literature is full of nonsensical claims to that effect. But within the community of game theorists, there is sharp disagreement over its meaning and potential usefulness. There are those who believe that the goal of game theory is ultimately to provide a good prediction of behavior in strategic situations. And even if we are not there yet, we will get there once we've enriched the models with additional parameters and come up with better ways of measuring the considerations of real players. I'm not sure on what this vision is based. Most situations can be analyzed in a number of ways, which usually yield contradictory predictions. Furthermore, we need also to deal with the fundamental difficulty of predicting behavior in the social sciences, where prediction itself is part of the game and forecasters are themselves players. Then there are those who believe in the power of game theory to improve performance in real-life strategic interactions. I have never been persuaded that there is, solid foundation, there is a solid foundation for this belief. The fact that academics have a vested interest in it make it even less credible. There seems to be some regularity in strategic behavior, which becomes apparent in game theoretical experiments. It's gratifying to sometimes find similar distributions of model of modes of behavior across societies. But are these regularities related to the classical predictions of game theory? Others, including myself, think that the object of game theory is primarily to study the considerations used in decision-making in interactive situations. It identifies patterns of reasoning and investigates their implications on decision-making in strategic situations. According to this opinion, game theory does not have normative implications, and its empirical significance is very limited. Game theory is viewed as a cousin of logic. Logic does not allow us to screen out true statements from false ones and does not help us distinguish right from wrong. Game theory does not tell us which action is preferable or predict what other people will do. If... Game theory is nevertheless useful or practical. It is only indirectly so. In any case, the burden of proof is on those who doubt the practical who doubt the practical value of game theory in the first place. So this was kind of a shocking uh, thing to write as a an afterwards. So my first question before we get into the content was, what kind of reaction have you gotten from um, your colleagues? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I hear it, I hear you reading it, and uh, actually, first of all, I like it, you know. <laughs> you still so like my, it, huh? My response is very positive, uh, even I wrote it uh, a few years ago. Uh, uh, you know, first of all, I do believe it. I'm skeptic, that's true, and I, I'm not uh, not ashamed uh, of that, the opposite. I think that uh, to be skeptic in academics, that's, that's the fuel of academic uh, academic life. And uh, I think that one of the problems uh, of economic theory in general in the, in the, in the years that I'm uh, aware of it is that I do feel that there was uh, too little skepticism and too much uh, of a feeling that we are on the right track uh, towards uh, fulfilling some uh, goals that uh, personally I was not from the first side I, I, I was not believe, a believer of. Uh, second, um, you see, uh, there is uh, there is one point that I emphasized in this uh, in the paragraph that you read, which is uh, the, 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 the 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 fact that many game theoreticians do want to, uh, do do feel or do want to find uh, game theory to be uh, apl- applicable applied. 
and uh, and uh, my emotional my emotion uh, from the beginning of my academic life i've never felt that i have any obligation to be uh, to do something which is uh, useful which is uh, applied um i don't think that it's a sin not at all so if something that i do will uh, be will pave the way to to the moon or to to cure cancer i would be very happy but i don't believe that that's the case and uh, and i think that we should use we should look in uh, academic life in general to much more modest usefulness usefulness more from uh, abstract point of view from intellectual point of view and not from the point of view or not in the sense that most people uh, understand in the word uh, being useful on the phrase being useful now when you say statement you ask about the response of the of the people around me well you know people first of all know me and they know me for many years and I did not hide my my views about it it's true that uh, probably I was less clear about my views when I was very young uh, I, I I remember the first time that uh, it was around the early 80s that I was participating in some in some conference and somebody told me that he did some experiments that was not very uh, uh, consistent with uh, at least he thought that it was not very consistent with uh, a model that I wrote uh, about bargaining and I didn't understand what he wants for my life <laughs> namely of course the, the model does not have to predict anything it does not have to be verified in life it's not a, it's not a model uh, of, from, uh, like a model in physics is and uh, and uh, and, uh, and it was not used it was not supposed to be useful in any way. I called it a model of bargaining uh, because I wanted to emphasize that there are many, many models of bargaining and, and, and my model is just one story and there could be many stories and, uh, and if it's useful in any, it is in a very, very indirect way. So I think that, uh, you know, with time people uh, got more and more to know me and they understood that uh, that uh, these are my views. It's true that it's only in the last 10 years or so, especially around, uh, let's say, the late 90s, that I expressed my views in a more uh, coherent way. Uh, and I felt it uh, more, uh, you know, more clear in my, my voice about the, the, the role or the usefulness or the non-usefulness of game theory. Now, I, you see, it's the, the, I, I have to say also that, of course, some people did not like it. I did not like it at all. It's not that I got some threats to my life. <laughs> but uh, And I fully understand why, because I think that many people, and I say it very positively about themselves, feel that they should do something useful in life. And again, I, let me emphasize, I say it's something very, very, I say it very positively about them. I think that uh, there are people who were educated, were brought up on the idea that they are not allowed just to to, to, to be professors in universities just for thinking, for the sake of thinking, but they, they, need, uh, they need to do something uh, that will be uh, useful in the regular sense of the word. Is, so I think you... that for them it's not easy to, to, to accept this position. Uh, now, of course, I should also say, and we should not hide it, that are, and especially in the last uh, 15 years or so, it was not like that, I think, 20 or 30 years ago, but in the last 15 years or so, we are also experiencing some uh, economic interest around. And that's because once game theory became uh, applied in the sense that there are companies that give, or individuals that give, uh, becoming consultants and giving advices and also get uh, some nice uh, uh, amounts of money in return, then, of course, the interest uh, also play a role. We are overall, and uh, we, are, we economists are, and game theoreticians in particular, are also human beings, and we are economic agents, and that's something that we also take into account. So, uh, so it's not, again, I don't think, I don't blame anybody to, for cheating or something like that. The opposite, I think, that there are very moral and very nice people around game theory. But I think the interests are also uh, in the background. And at least, I think, I fully understand that some of the people that felt that their work, or feel that their work is uh, very, very useful in a very concrete way are either driven by very uh, idealistic uh, positions about uh, academic life or they are driven by more human uh, in incentives or interests like, uh, like other people. 
So, um, so again, I, I, I don't feel isolated, not at all, from time to time. By the way, one of the nice things about these sort of physicians that I get from time to time, look, it's not the case that every, you know, every day I get responses and many emails from <laughs> thousands of people. That's not yeah. the case, of course. But I think that uh, it's nice to get very positive um, uh, responses from young people, from, uh, from students. Uh, and uh, it's nice because, uh, you know, I think that it's coming from something more pure. And, uh, and in general, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I believe in young people more than I believe in people in my age. Well, listeners will, will hear some echoes from a recent interview we did with uh, Freeman Dyson, where he talked about the value of being a heretic and uh, made some similar comments uh, about the reliability of science. We're talking now about social science, about economics, and about game theory in particular. But it is a fascinating thing, and I think that in my experience, when you confront people with the idea that their certainty is not as high as they claim it to be, their reaction is very angry and aggressive. They don't say, oh, that's interesting. Well, maybe I should be a little more... No, actually, what they respond with is, you don't know what you're talking about, you don't understand, you don't know the field. But in your case, they can't say that. You know what you're talking about, and you do know the field, and it's awkward. They must. Some people must be very defensive. Some people are very defensive, and I guess that some people probably will not say it in my face, will say some bad things about me, and I, I, sure. I, I will not hate them for that. I understand that this is the, the game of life. And for saying that, I don't need to know game theory. <laughs> uh, by the way, I mean, I, I, one point that I would like to also to emphasize that I do believe that many of the game theoreticians and the economic theoreticians in general uh, could make a lot of difference to the world. Uh, and but my, my argument would be the following: I think that what's happened is that the economic theory uh, attracted many smart people many very smart people and uh, what is the, dif the difference between game theory or economic theory and let's say pure mathematics is that those people who come to economic theory are very often also with a very good touch to the world uh, so it's not that there are, uh, it's not only that there are, are sorry that there are IQ is very high but they have also you know to do game theory, you do need some, some, some touch to the, to the world in the sense of understanding how people argue what is important in a situation and so on. Uh, and uh, now that's something that you don't learn in game theory, but I think that if you're a good game theoretician or a good economic theoretician, then this is a virtue that you need to come with. So, so I think that what's going on is that game theory and economic theory, uh, 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 many of the people who work in these fields have this uh, special ability of high, ability, high analytical ability and some, some, uh, some touch to the world, which makes them very valuable independently of the theories or the concepts that they come with. Namely, I do believe very much that if you take an uh, intelligent person, like many of the names that, uh, that uh, we have in mind, I don't want to mention particular names here, and you tell them, okay, in the next year you don't do game theory, you just consult to the American government uh, agency or to the Israeli army or to some private company. And I do believe that these people will give many good advices. They will also give very many very bad advices. <laughs> but, uh, but some of the good advices will be quite original and, uh, and, and, and let me say even valuable from social or economic or whatever point of view. But this does not mean the fact that people who are describing themselves as game theoreticians, or are game theoreticians, not just describing themselves, that the fact that they are really useful in the concrete sense does not mean, not at all, that they really use the theory itself. Now, of course, you know, to a game theory like logic, like the Talmud, like many other philosophy, uh, these are fields that sharpen the brain and etc. etc. And in this respect, it's trained people to to contribute something to the world and uh, add to it, as I said before, that 
to, to, do, to be successful academics, uh, you have to be also original. And originality, again, it's not something that you learn. It's something that you are born with or your mother mm. gave you uh, with, uh, with her milk. Uh, so that makes actually some of the, uh, the game show permanent game show teachings quite valuable from social point of view also from uh, but but I the one thing that I disagree with many of those people is that I disagree that they come that they really use uh, game theory and one uh, and one of the things that uh, let me say something personal one of the things that motivates me a lot in life is my um, hate to pretension and my hate to use of authority in cases that there is no real uh, authority to be based on. And it's very, it's very, you know, it's very tempting. It's very tempting, and I, I can say that in my own life, I also was confronting with this temptation. It's very tempting to say, I know something that you don't know. I'm a professor. I'm a game theory, theoretician. Uh, I know some game, some people who won the Nobel Prize, etc., etc. And therefore, listen to me. I know some things that you, the layman, the politician, etc., etc., don't. No. Yeah, it's very it's seductive. Temp- it's tempting, yeah. but I think that uh, we should. And personally, I hope that I did succeed to 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 not to be tempted by that. And the opposite. And you know, I did uh, I, in the last uh, ten years or so. I did uh, many times. I did talk in some uh, public uh, public uh, gatherings uh, or I guess some public lectures in Israel. And I uh, writing from time to time in the newspaper in Israel, and I, one thing that I emphasize in the first sentence is that, uh, listen, I'm talking with you as a citizen of Israel, a citizen of the world, but not, uh, not at all as, uh, as expert to anything which is, uh, which is uh, 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 relevant. It's a very deep um, observation. I, I've been struck by it in the current economic situation, and I may have made this joke before with, in an earlier program, but... People come up to me and say, in the middle of the crisis, boy, um, people must be coming to you for answers. And I always say, not the smart ones, because I don't have any answers. I, I may have an insight or two from the study of economics, but people don't want an insight or two. They want the truth. They want the answer. They want the solution. And as you say, there's such a temptation, a seductiveness to being treated with honor and glory as if you're something special. And what I find interesting... <clears throat> exactly, and by the way, you use the word solution that people look so much to, and but I think that the game theory, one part of the success of game theory is the rhetorics that was used by game theory, and the word solution, you know, the term solution, we talk about solutions in game theory, It's we, we don't just talk about equilibrium, we talk about solutions, and the, this, the, this word uh, in English or in Hebrew, I think that it triggers people to believe that here we give some something very concrete, really a solution to a dilemma, a solution yeah. to, to some conflict. And, you know, there's a famous example of, uh, which I always, I enjoy it, it's an example of a of a shipwreck, I think it's from, in a book by, a novel by Joseph Conrad, I think it's in Typhoon, where all the, all the jewels and, and boxes of, spe- of treasure that people have put on board get all mixed up together. And we're at, we have the problem now is that how do you get people to to ask uh, to tell the truth about what was in their box? Because everyone will have a tendency to exaggerate. So there's a very elegant solution. We'll not talk about it here, but there's a very elegant solution that will encourage people to tell the truth. And the, the idea is you don't give people back necessarily what they say, but you compare what they say and what everyone says to the total amount. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, elegant piece. I think there was a little article on it in the journal Political Economy. But the idea that that would work the first time <laughs> as a solution when the chaos and the aftermath of a typhoon when people are traumatized, that they would just all act like the game theorists say they would is stupid. It's, 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 there's a logic, logical beauty to it, but no captain would, would use it. He'd, he'd be a fool to use it. 
Yeah, and I think that this is true about many of the so-called game theoretic uh, solutions. It's it's like logic. It, it it shows something. We learn something from it. We learn something which might be useful, much might might be not useful. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But uh, but uh, but to say that the fact that I wrote a model and uh, and uh, I have some implementation problem and I found found some mechanism and uh, which uh, the Nash equilibrium or even the only Nash equilibrium or the only subgame perfect Nash equilibrium or the only whatever equilibrium is something that I would like actually to implement to say that this is actually something close to to be a recommendation to the world. I think that I wouldn't call it stupid, but I would call it uh, you know it's potential without without uh, without uh, without a good justification. So the other thing I want to observe about your your point, which I think is very true, that, that people like to be seen as experts and treated with, with seriousness. It's interesting to me that I think most game theorists, most econ- let me say most economists generally, would be insulted when told, well, most of your insights come from the fact that you're really smart. And yes, it's useful to have studied economics. It hones the mind, and it's, I would even go farther than that. It sensitizes you. Economics does generally... It sensitizes you to unseen effects. It sensitizes you to the effect of incentives. It sensitizes you to the role of market forces, which are very difficult sometimes to be aware of. And for a game theorist, you're sensitized to strategic interactions, and those can be very important. And yet no one wants to be – no one says, ah, this had nothing to do with my training. It's just me. I'm smart. That we'd think might be attractive. That might be a nice identity. But, but what you point out is what actually does happen. People don't want to sell themselves that way. They sell themselves as the keeper of the flame, the person who has this insight from the club, from the cadre of of insiders called economists or game theorists. I just find that psychologically interesting. Right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that many of the people would uh, love to describe themselves as smart, but I, I think that I, I, I think that uh, it's just, you know, it's very difficult to say, yeah, okay, I am smart, my IQ is such and such. Listen to me, <laughs> uh, it's, but uh, on the other hand, it's very easy to say I have uh, 50 papers in econometrica, and therefore I'm an expert on uh, on whatever. And now uh, listen to me. And uh, by the way, it's not just a blame, you know. I, again, it's not not a matter of evilness, but in general, I don't believe in uh, how very few people are evil. I, 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 I think that it is a sort of, in some sense, it's an equilibrium of the world, uh, namely uh, the desire to get advice of this type is coming from somebody wants to get the advice. And somebody wants to pay for that, and somebody would like to listen, and somebody would like to transfer responsibility from himself if he's a politician or a, right. or a businessman or whatever, and to cover himself. And uh, and then, of course, you know, in extreme cases, you uh, the, the worst case in some sense, the worst for me is that when people are presenting uh, political views uh, yep. and. Uh, and this is definitely true about my own country, where uh, there are some people who are uh, supporting their political views uh, with uh, with a sort of scientific justification. That only happens in Israel, Israel, Ariel. It doesn't happen in the United States. <clears throat> We're all just scientists here. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Now, we have okay. the same problem here. It's a horrible yeah. – and it's a dishonesty. It, the, it, the worst part is it's dishonest. We pretend we're scientists. We're not. We're, sell, we're, we're yeah. clothing our biases in scientific uh, rhetoric. Again, but I, I would just, I would, uh, you, you see, I would be softer than you in one point. I would not say that it, it is dishonest. I would say that this is the, that we are cheating ourselves. That uh, the desire of people to, 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 to make claims which are not just their views and are not just derived from their ideological positions and somehow is so strong that people are just persuading themselves that uh, in their position. So, I, so I'm just saying I, I don't want to 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 stick any any evilness or any dishonesty to anybody. Not at all. The opposite. I think that some of the people who do it are very very honest people and very fine people. But I just think that they are wrong in their position. Yeah. No, I I agree with that softening. I I've been thinking a lot lately. Of for those who remember our. A series of podcasts on the theory of moral sentiments. There's the line in Adam Smith. I'm paraphrasing slightly. He says, "Man wants to be loved and to be lovely. He wants 
we want to we want to have people think highly of us, and we want to earn that respect and honor. And so we have a tendency to delude ourselves that we've actually earned it when, in fact, we haven't. The basic impulse is good. It's good to be to be gen- liked for genuine reasons, but we have a tendency to self-deceive, and it's yeah. a human, as you say, it comes with the mother's yeah. milk. I fully agree. Yeah. So let's move on. I want to talk about a um, a rather um, iconic example from the behavioral economics literature that you've critiqued in a paper on behavioral economics. It happens to be an example that came up in, in the podcast with uh, Dan Pink, and it may have come up, uh, I think it came up another time, I've forgotten which podcast, but it's this now famous example of an Israeli daycare center where this daycare center, they had a problem, people were coming late, they were having trouble arriving on time, and people were taking advantage a little bit of the daycare center, and they were waiting, they were coming late to pick up their kids. So as an experiment, they instituted a fine that if your kids were, if you were late picking up your kids, you had to pay an additional fee. And they found out that it actually increased the number of people who came late. And this was seen as some sort of refutation potentially of you know, downward sloping demand curves. And I think a lot of the claims for this example are overblown. But I want to get your reaction to the science of it and the, and the, um, the objectivity of it. Yeah, I, I, I rather prefer probably to talk about in general about this uh, the, the, the experimental economics um, uh, or experimental economics uh, methods or assumptions. Um, you see, uh, uh, I, you know, the, my, my interaction with uh, experimental game theory or experimental economics started when uh, I met uh, many years ago the late Amos Tversky. And my first interaction with Amos Tversky, who then became quite a friend of mine until he died in '96, was a meeting where more or less I told him, Amos, I don't understand what are you doing? Uh, doing. Uh, what you're doing is completely obvious. Uh, I don't need why do you, I don't need I don't understand why you need experiments to support your observations. Uh, you have some. You understand how people reason. You have uh, interesting uh, observations about those. And uh, now it's enough that you write those observations like philosophers. Philosophers usually traditionally don't uh, support their uh, observations with uh, with, uh, experiments. And uh, this, the, the interaction with Amos uh, for a few years, including one paper that we wrote together, taught me uh, a lot about the meaning of experimental economics. I do still believe that most of the interesting stuff in experimental economics is something that people, first of all, it comes from uh, smart, it's not smart people, it's people with understanding how people, uh, with good observations, uh, ability to observe uh, how people think and the reason, and of course, with ability to to make some abstraction from that, and they once they come up with some observation, if the observation is good, that usually you hear it and you say yes, the, the, that's correct. So in, in the introspection, in some sense, the introspection, which I believe is the the main tool of the experimental economy, economics or the cognitive psychologist is something that overall this is the most important tool in, 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 in this, uh, this field. Nevertheless, rightly so, we require that from a social point of view, we require that it's not enough to say I believe that or I think that and I checked with two friends or, or my son or my wife, uh, but we need a little bit more than that. And then actually it's become quite and out. And I think that people like uh, Amos Tversky or Daniel Kahneman uh, were really like artists for me. Namely, they they have this wonderful ability to to, to, to take such an observation, probably introspection, probably uh, observing other people's thinking and reasoning and somehow inventing some sort of scenario, some sort of experiment that demonstrates the point very well. That's something which is not easy. Once we see the experiment, sometimes we feel, wow, that's so easy, everybody can do it. But that's not the case. I, in the one paper that I wrote with Amos, we, we had about, I don't remember, 20 or 30 pilots 
until we came to the to the final uh, to the final uh, phrase of the experiments that we did and uh, you know it's not me that I did it it's Amoslavsky after so many years of experience and nevertheless it was not trivial at all to find the right uh, the right uh, way to ask the question and to 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 um, to demonstrate the points that we wanted to demonstrate at the point we it was very clear and we, we didn't have any any doubt that the the point exists in the human reasoning so what what so my point is the following one of the two if you want to to if we we we, we say okay economics is really like a philosophy and uh, it's enough to say uh, we believe that people reason uh, some people reason in this way or there is some element in reasoning which is common to many of us and so on then we don't need experiments if we do the experiments then we need to do it in a very very uh, careful way and uh, and uh, it's not enough to claim that the conclusion is correct in some sense the conclusion is very clear from the beginning and in some sense you don't need the experiments to to to, to believe in the conclusion in this particular case that you that you mentioned i think that it's uh, the common sense tells us that uh, you know if you don't have to pay anything for uh some service then uh, you may actually be more considerable to the to the to the interest of the 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 the, the guy who gives you the service on the other hand if he charges you something and it's a little bit annoying that he charges you this extra then you start to do uh, your maximization and therefore it might be that if uh, if the, the kindergarten teacher does not uh, does not charge anything then I will be quite careful to come on time and if he, he charges some uh, a lot of money a lot a lot of money I will be very careful to, to come in time to pick my child and if he charges some some peanuts then I or even a few dollars then I will would say, okay, so now it's worth for me to be late half an hour and to pay the ten dollars. So that's the, this is something which you know, ask people in the streets. I think that most of them probably did not think about it in this abstraction, but uh, but they will agree that that's more or less the case. So if you want to say that's the case and the incentives are not uh, incentives are not monotone in their influence then and, and also that, that there are non-monetary incentives that there's cultural disapproval and other forces that's not so complicated it's part of economics too right Right. But what I'm saying is that if you want just to say that's the case, then uh, then I don't think that you need to do any experiments. If you want to do experiments, if you want to get then an article again, you have, yeah. now you have to judge the experiments and not the conclusions. And I think that one of the mistakes, the general mistakes that many of us do, is that we say, aha, here somebody phrased, and again, I don't refer to this particular case. I refer in general to, to many papers in experimental economics in the last 20 years, where actually people were quite impressed by the by the by the conclusion, uh, probably because the conclusion was useful to construct new models. But in some sense, you don't, you didn't need the the experiments to to, to be persuaded. Now, as I said before, if you do the experiments, then I would like to require from the experiments to be done in the right way. Now, how do we usually judge experiments? I think that usually we judge experiments using some statist statistical tools, right? So there's some statistical test, and you do the you you run the the program, and you get p equal whatever, and it's better that you get p be below five percent, etc., etc. And and if you get six percent, it's it's disaster. If you get four percent, you are happy. And that's the end of the game. Now, my point is that one of the things that as a profession we hide or we don't take into account, the, the big uncertainty about results, in my opinion, is not uncertainty. Uh, is not the statistical uncertainty that usually is measured, by this, by, but the uncertainty about the way that the data is uh, recorded, the, the, the uncertainty about the, 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 the way that the experiment is done. And this is something that in my, 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 my feeling is that uh, economists are not critical enough. We don't check the details. We, be, we in general, we believe in the, uh, we, we, it's, it's 
not it's not uh, politi- politically correct to say to somebody, well, I'm not sure that actually you have done the experiment in the protocol, the exact protocol that you are reporting to, uh, and uh, and therefore this becomes uh, the significant of the experiments that are reported in the literature uh, for me. And again, without getting into details about case A or case B, in general, I'm much more skeptic about these facts. I, let me let me be bold and probably shock you again. Most of the facts that are reported, I don't believe the facts. I believe the conclusions yeah. without the facts. And, uh, and this is something which is, again, you know, one thing that I learned in my life is that... Uh, we are not angels, <laughs> and there are, no, there are very few angels in the world, and I'm not an angel. And uh, and uh, and uh, working in experimental economics it requires, in some sense, uh, to be an angel. Namely, it's very easy to deceive yourself. It's very easy to 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 do the wrong calculation and then to and not to check the calculations if they go in your direction. You know, uh, when in the last two years I give three years I give lectures about uh, new economics, and one of the things that I do in this lecture, I show some data about eye tracking data that I did with some uh, some work with a friend of mine from uh, Weizmann Institute and a student from Tel Aviv. And they show the data, and they show some very nice pictures of the eye tracking uh, recordings of the eye track, uh, eye track from the eye tracker. What, what is something. what is eye tracking? Watching? Uh, yeah. What is that? Uh, eye tracking. Well, uh, the story is that uh, the story is that in order to you know, we try in general in what is called new economics, uh, people try to understand the ways that people reason. And they try to do it uh, from uh, measuring, uh, usually, typically, they measure things uh, using the, these days the fMRI. Yeah. And there are some signals that come from your brain, from your body, or from whatever, that uh, give us some uh, hints about the, the ways that you reason before you made a decision. Uh, now, again, this became, this is one of probably the most important, the interesting developments in economics in the last uh, five to ten years. Uh, and again, I feel that, uh, that a lot has to be said about the way that it was developed. Personally, what I did in the, with some friends, and because of some reasons, uh, we did some uh, eye tracking uh, experiment. Uh, so when people, when we gave people to choose between uh, two vectors uh, like uh, uh, X dollars with probability P versus Y dollars with probability Q, and we wanted to to see how people reason about it uh, using the eye tracker, which allows us to 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 follow. How people, uh, what were the eye movements, namely whether they compared the dollars to the dollars, the probability to probabilities, or whether they made some calculation of like a multiplication of the X dollars with the probability P versus the Y dollars with probability Q, etc., etc. So, uh, so, uh, so we did this experiment. I, de- I, I do these sort of experiments mainly because I'm interested in the methodology of economics, and I wanted to understand better uh, how people do these sort of things. And one thing that I learned in my life is that the best way to criticize something and to understand how people do something is to do it yourself. When you do it yourself, then you are uh, you, you 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 find the, the dirty trick, tricks of the field for one side. On the other side, you are also becoming more sympathetic to to the difficulties that uh, the other people face in their research. In any case, what well, the stories I want to tell you is that um, uh, we have some very nice uh, movies uh, where uh, you can really look at the movies and look out the the, the eye the eye movements went and. You say, wow, it's very clear what was going on in his mind. Sometimes it's even quite funny. Excellent. Now, I show the three or four picture movies to the crowd, and then I tell them, look, the entire data that you saw is wrong. And I, show, I, saw, I showed it already to, I don't know, 20, 30 lectures, and nobody until now uh, realized that why actually the data was wrong. 
the entire the, the, the people could see it because they because they had actually the entire information and they had the entire background to make the conclusion that what they saw is in some sense wrong and they don't see it and actually we uh, my my co-authors and me watched these movies for 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 days and weeks and we and uh, until there was some uh, accident that caused us actually to realize that the, the, the data was wrong the data was wrong because what's happened in this particular case is that there was a mistake of the programmer and actually everything uh, up down were reversed flipped down and uh, and whatever was uh, up actually was down whatever was down was up and uh, and it was uh, and people could realize it because actually all the movements uh, the the eye movement started actually from the bottom and it's very strange that people started to look at uh, at, uh, at, uh, at some at, uh, at the screen and started to look at it uh, at the screen from the bottom and not from top. Even in a country like Israel, when we write read from right to left, to left we don't read from bottom to top. And uh, so the so, but nevertheless. We don't criticize enough the the, the 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 way we take for granted that actually the what we see is correct, that the way that the data was recorded and collected was was fine, uh, and that uh, we we don't search for mistakes in the fundamental mistakes in the in the in the the, the, the ways that we um, analyze the data. We do look for some statistical tests, which actually are very good tests, or sometimes are good tests for credibility of the data, assuming that everything until up to the point that you ran the statistical test was correct. So. Um, I mean, uh, so I think that one thing that I try to encourage in my research or my my, my lectures, other people is to be skeptic about uh, data, about experiments, and not just to check the, the the statistical validity, but to go further to the to the, the very fine description of the of the of the experiment. These fine details are extremely important and may make a lot of differences. But this is a general problem. And it, general you, problem. you pointed out very eloquently in, in the case of experimental economics and in your paper, which we'll put a link up to, uh, you give some nice examples of the kind of what you might call casualness in the collecting of the data was done or the imprecision of it. The problem I have, and this is true of every type of empirical work, it's not just experimental economics, the researchers don't reveal what they really did. They tell us an post story that we tested this and it came out, and we were right. And of course, you don't know how many times they ran the regression, you don't know how many specifications they used, you don't know how many times they didn't like the outcome, and they said, well, we better try it in a log-log form instead of uh, in the levels. So in the example of, of the experimental literature, when I read these pop psychology books that purport to teach us some new thing about economics, they'll do some test. And you'll, I always ask myself, can you replicate it? If I did the test, would it come out every time that way? Did you just find it once? How many times did you do it? So there's this classic example in you know, a book I like a lot, James Surowiecki's book, The Wisdom of Crowds. There's a lot of interesting things in that book. But one of the things in there is that when you have people guess something that the mean sometimes is the right answer even though no individual guess is accurate and certainly i'm sure that's true sometimes but i think it's also not true but for fun i did an experiment with my class i filled up a big jar with beans and i walked around and i asked a bunch of different people how many beans were in the jar to see if the mean would be anything close and it turned out that every single person almost every single person underestimated how many beans were in the jar let's say there were 800 and that most people said 500 600 but of the 30 people I asked, one person said like 8,000. He was off by, you know, it was impossible that there would be 8,000. He just gave a quick look at the jar and he gave a wild guess and he was totally off. But when you included that 8,000, it came out very close to the mean. Now, does that confirm the theory? And if I had been trying to disprove the theory, I would have said to myself, oh, come on, do you really think there's 8,000 in there? And he said, well, you're right, 800. And then I would have shown that the theory was wrong. And as you point out in the protocol, did I, was I careful not to do that? Did I keep every outlier? Did I say, well, that's an outlier? And did I pick and choose what to include? Did I run it three times before I got that result? So these are the questions I think we need to ask all the time 
of experimental economics and empirical economics, and we usually don't because, as you say, we're not angels. We confirm our biases. Uh, and connected with that, let me make uh, two or three points. First of all, uh, I think it's one thing that has to be changed in economics. I think that many, I've heard already many people agree with that point, is that uh, we lack this culture of replication. I think that, uh, you know, you do something original. I, I'm not sure about it. I am going to run it again. The chances that I will be able to publish it, uh, whatever are the results, are very small. Uh, that makes it very rare that people replicate, and if they replicate, I think that usually they have actually the incentives to improve the results and then to make some sort of a secondary experiment that under some different conditions with some changes, and they have something, another phenomenon, but as a, basically they have to replicate to improve actually the original experiment, and I think that this culture is is very bad. There is a room, I think, for for giving some credit for to people who do replications, whether it works or whether it fails, and uh, of course it has to be evaluated less than a big invention. But nevertheless, I think that the profession does not give any incentives to, for uh, people to do that. Second, I think that there is a big problem, in my opinion, which is about the protocols that experimental economics use. I think at the moment, experimental economics requires certain uh, protocols which became very rigid and extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to publish. Whether you're a famous person or whether you're a young person, it's very difficult to publish stuff which do not follow these protocols. The protocols require uh, certain uh, incentives. The protocols require, namely, giving the uh, subject some money and require bring people to what they call laboratories. But laboratory is a nice word to some bunch of computers, that's all. Now, I, 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 I think the outcome is actually, in my opinion, devastating from uh, academic uh, point of view because, uh, first of all, the incentives are not serious. And uh, I think that there is uh, there were several research uh, pieces that shows that actually the, these, these amounts that are given are not really incentivized uh, people in the way that uh, makes much difference between this protocol and the protocol when you are telling people uh, you're not going to get any money, but now let's imagine that you are now in a particular situation where such and such uh, thousands of dollars are in stake and etc etc that's because people are very good in 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 fantasies people are very good in putting themselves in imaginary situations and then actually i believe that they report about what they would do of course it's not exactly what they would do but give us some information which in my opinion is better than what we get in laboratory when we pay five dollars to a student for sitting 30 sec 30 minutes near a computer and doing some very boring very boring game but i think that the the the, the worst of it is that it prevents uh, at the moment uh, there is uh, there are a lot of info possibilities to do very huge uh, experiments via the, the web. Um, uh, I, I must say that uh, I, I have to say that uh, myself, I, I, I do in the last uh, eight or nine years, I do a lot of experiments via the, 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 the web, and, uh, and I think that the results that I get are in my opinion, are not less valuable, and in my opinion, even more, because I'm talking about many thousands of subjects and uh, participants, and I think that the results are not less reliable, uh, at least for many of the games or the decision uh, uh, problems that I'm working with, and it's just very difficult to to, 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 to to publish it. It's very difficult to to draw the attention of the community because the community requires this sort of uh, of, uh, of protocols. Now, why the community requires this soft, sort of protocols? Let me again uh, uh, push the position or the point of view or draw the attention of economists again that they cannot take the position. I believe that economists cannot take the position. Everybody is economic agents and behaves according to incentives, so but we are not. <laughs> and everybody is uh, firms of, uh, behaving like uh, cartels, uh, create cartels, and we know we are not cartels. I think that uh, the economic profession in certain, uh, at least in certain ways, behave like a cartel. 
And the cartel has barriers to entry. Mm-hmm. That's very that's that's yeah. the basic uh, strategy of any cartel, and the cartel of experimental economics has a barrier, puts a barrier to entry, because in some sense it sounds very easy to do experiments, and I think this is one of the one of the misleading facts about uh, for uh, for graduate students, many graduate students who don't succeed to do uh, theory or don't succeed to do very uh, elaborating um, macro models or whatever, then they feel, okay, we can finish the PhD quite easily because we will get some money from the supervisor and we will run some experiment. experiments. Usually you get some results and if you're not critical, definitely you get some results and we can publish it and we can finish the PhD. And I think that in this respect what the, 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 this, the cartel does is that it puts some higher barriers to entry to prevent that too many people will do these sort of things. But I think that this, in this day these days, actually, to do experiments, in some sense, people who are, have good access to the web, good access to 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 to, to subjects uh, around the world, can gather information about the ways that people reason in general, including in strategic and economic situation, much better than putting thirty guys in in a lab uh, for thirty minutes. I just want to make two comments on that, uh, this discussion, then I want to move on. But the, there was recently an article by Jonah Lehrer, I think in, in The New Yorker, about a psychologist who had found this surprising, unintuitive result. I forget what it was exactly. But over the years, and he became very honored for this. He became very um, in demand. His career took off. But over the years, he's realized that that finding has not stood up, that when people tried to replicate it, over time, it got smaller and smaller, and now it's basically it disappears when people try to test it. And I believe this is not, of course, this is not an indication that human behavior has changed over the over the decade and a half or so. But it's more a, an an honesty about what the the experiments revealed. The second observation I would make: you made a very interesting point about the power of introspection, and that we sort of we accept the conclusions, uh, and then we do the experiments. But I, I, have a, I have a friend, he was reading one of these, again, pop psychology books that was trying to show all these novel, counterintuitive results. And I said to him, he's, he's loving the book. And I said, you know, a lot of those experiments that those – and there's many books like this. I'm not going to name, name them, but there are many books like this that, that take the psychology literature and the behavioral economics literature and craft a book around these novel and unintuitive and new paradoxical findings – and I said, you know, a lot of those experiments, I'm not sure they can be replicated. I'm not sure they're reliable. He said to me, oh, don't worry. <clears throat> I, only, I only believe the ones that, that uh, make sense to me. So, of course, that's a dangerous road also. Um, so there is a challenge. I'm with you. I, I like, I'm more tending towards philosophy as I get older and less towards um, mathematical economics. But there is a challenge that your introspection is – prone to confirmation bias. And here I am interviewing you. You're confirming all my biases about that I have about experimental economics and uh, game theory. So I have to be careful, too. Yep. Uh, one more um, issue that you've been a contrarian, or at least a, uh, an outspoken person, or maybe not a contrarian, and it sort of, I think, maybe brings together a few things you've been talking about I think that one thing that I try also to emphasize in the last few years in my writings is uh, that the, what is economic model? Actually, I wrote a book in Hebrew, which was not published in English, at least not yet, which we, I called uh, in Hebrew, it's Agadota Kalkala, which means economic uh, fables or yeah. economic tales. And the basic idea of this book, and uh, that's something which I also emphasize in some other writings, is that uh, my view about economic model in general is that it is a fable, it's a fairy tale. And it's not like, uh, at least my imagination of what is a a model in in the sciences. Namely, I do treat the model that I build or I invent or or other people's uh, models, I treat them as, as stories. And a good model for me is a good story. The, the difference, of course, is that the story in the economic uh, literature, economic theory, is written, first of all, it has to be written in, in, uh, in formal language. 
uh, which has pluses and minuses. It has the pluses that it makes the model or the story in some sense more clear. On the other end, and it uh, and also it. Uh, but on the other end, it is makes it less clear because the, this uh, formal model, uh, formal language, is not necessarily understood by many of the people that are going to to use it. Uh, but in any case, I think that uh, a good story, uh, a good uh, model, I think about it as uh, really as a story. It has to have the, the much, much of the rhythm of, of, a, of a good story. It starts usually with rep- presenting the, the characters, presenting the economic agents, presenting their motives, and uh, it goes on until the end of the story, what usually people call equilibrium or solution and so on. But uh, and here it uses the big difference which between a uh, fairy tale or uh, and the economic model the formal economic model where uh, in the formal model you need you have some some rules how to move from what it seems that you have some rules and you are bound actually to in the you cannot just uh, go from the beginning to the end uh, in the way that uh, the writer wants it to, to to go but you are have to justify the, the the move from the beginning to the end using some abstract concept, some solution concept and so on. But nevertheless, I think that in many respects, these are the same things, both a good fairy tale, a fable and economic model uh, are very unrealistic. They are very unrealistic because they take from the, from the complexity of the world, they take very few, very few elements. They put it usually in a very sterilized uh, environment and uh, in this stylized environment we are playing in the in the fable and we are playing in the in the economic model and then at the end of the story at the end of the model we if, if the more if the fable is interesting then and then, then in, uh, at the end of the of the fable we feel that we got some sort of an insight about the world not an insight not a not a recommendation to the prime minister what to do and not an advice to the firm how to behave but nevertheless we we get, we have some sort of a feeling. We got something about the way that people reasoning and about the pay, the way that the world goes. Of course, the social world goes. And I think it's the same is true about economic model. If economic model is good, then it tells us something about the concepts, about the ways, the, the ways that we reason, and uh, and it should be also enjoyable. <laughs> sure, no, it should entertain a little bit. Uh, Right. The more dramatic it is, the more surprising exactly. it is, the better story exactly. it is. Exactly. Exactly. We, we did, you know, I interviewed uh, Ed Lemer. He's uh, he wrote a book recently on macroeconomics called Macroeconomic Patterns and Stories, and uh-huh. he tells a very similar tale to Agadot Kalkala, which is, you know, this is what we are. Yep. We don't like to admit it. We like to think that we're doing science. Exactly. We're doing something closer to literature, philosophy, whatever you want to call it. And I think some people, when I, you know, obviously some people in the profession, when they hear that, they bristle, they get angry, they're resentful, they 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 say you're you know, you're wrong. But then there are other people on the other side who say, okay, so there's nothing to economics, and I think that's not the conclusion for me anyway. And I'm, I'll let you have the last word and uh, about what it, what the conclusion is for you. For me, the conclusion isn't that economics is useless because these stories are just stories. Economics is a powerful way of thinking. It's a way of helping you organize your thinking about things that are connected in ways that are not obvious. They help you. Economics helps you see things that are hidden, uh, that are unseen, and then and some of them, the magnitudes we can't measure. We're not we're not uh, measuring the gravitational force of of a, of a mass. We're talking about magnitudes we can't always measure, but we f- can see forces and understand as you say, insights into human behavior that aren't obvious so that you wouldn't have noticed before. But to pretend that we can use those then to run the economy or to design a, a mechanism for a public policy is, is often a, a charade. And so to me, there's a middle ground. that Economics is, is a useful way of thinking or I wouldn't be running this podcast every week. But I think we oversell it. Um, and when we do, we get into what Hayek called scientism, not science. The use of scientific language and technique to give the aura of, of, of certitude that doesn't it doesn't deserve. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, let me just finish with saying that uh, you know, from time to time, I talk with young students, and uh, sometimes I, this, uh, I uh, some colleagues of mine criticize me 
on that I deter them from studying economics because I tell them exactly what I, uh, I was saying now in this interview. And uh, but you know what I, I learned uh, from my experience. Actually, in some sense, the opposite. Namely, it may be that I do deter some students or future students who want to come to economics because they believe that if they study economics, they will, they will make money. So maybe they conclude that it's better for them to study business administration or finance or whatever, or just to start business. But on the other hand, I think that the students that really economic at the moment needs, namely people with wide minds and uh, openness to new ideas and eagerness to come up with uh, really new solutions in the real sense to the problems of the world, those more idealistic students uh, actually are finding uh, this approach to economics much more attractive than telling them some 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 false uh, facts about the usefulness of uh, economic studies to their uh, pocket or to the to their ability to give it good advice to the finance minister. My guest today has been Ariel Rubenstein of Tel Aviv University and New York University. Ariel, thanks for being part of EconTalk. Thank you very much. My pleasure. This is EconTalk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more EconTalk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for EconTalk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.